And why don't we um, go back to that slide real quick, Matthew. We are learning that God is omniscient. That's what we're learning in student ministry too. And uh, it's been fun. Uh, we've just been going through God is, you are, we are, so that. And so this month we're learning that God is omniscient. That means that you are known. Isn't that such a good thing? Like God knows everything perfectly all the time. He has perfect understanding of everything, and that includes you. Now, sometimes that can be uh, a little bit unnerving, right? You mean God knows me? He knows what I'm thinking right now? Yes. But it's a really, really good thing. Because in his knowledge, he then invites us, we are invited to rest in that, to trust that, and to ask for wisdom. And then you'll get the so that next week. So just know that our kids are learning good things, and our students are learning good things. And I'm so excited that Abby and Simone have uh, stepped into student ministry. So they have said, yes, uh, there's a need, and uh, yeah. And uh, they're going to meet it. Um, if you don't know Abby and Simone Lico, uh, they're kind of related to the, the Copeland-Gundy clan, kind of. So, you know, we, we often have to get out our flow chart, our big, huge flow chart of family relations in the church. But uh, Abby and Simone are a young couple that uh, have international experience and uh, perspective and uh, they really click well with our students. They've been there the last several nights. And I'm just excited about how student ministry is going to go forward. So uh, that's good stuff. Children's ministry is cranking along. It's uh, amazing that we have all of these kids that come and sit up here. And thankfully, Sayla wasn't squashed by a speaker today. I think she's okay. Um, because they're all special. And uh, they're all a meaningful part of our body. And so next week, we'll all be together, and that will be sweet. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to just kind of bring in our, our look in Ephesians 4 in for a landing. So um, I, I might have said at the beginning of the month that we were going to go through the whole chapter. I hope I didn't because I didn't mean to. Um, but we're going to stop at verse 16 today. And so we've just been walking through the first part of Ephesians 4 and so in that uh, first week, a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians uh, 4, 1 to 3, we just looked at how we're prisoners um, who are urging eagerly. We're, we're encouraging one another eagerly. We have this anticipation that we need to be unified, that we want to maintain that unity. That exists in the Godhead. That's what uh, Drew preached on last week while I was uh, preaching to the Chinese congregation, uh, Pastor Du had just invited me to uh, come and to be with them. I haven't uh, preached through a translator very often, so it's always an interesting experience. Um, uh, but it was good, and it was just really good to be uh, with our Chinese brothers and sisters that just you know meet right down the hall. And uh, it was good to see them and to be with them, to open the word uh, with them and for them. Uh, so Drew unpacked this reality of the Trinity, and that's where our unity flows from. And so it's not a unity that we have to create. This isn't something that, that we have to work very hard at to create, yet it is hard work to maintain. And so Paul now continues in uh, this 
text in chapter 4 to help us understand how we go about maintaining unity. And uh, so I hope that we will hear this today. I have two big ideas or main ideas today, and I know that breaks all the rules of preaching because you're only supposed to have one. But I figure you're smart people, you can handle two. And so here's uh, the first of two. Unity, growth, health, vitality are interchangeable concepts. So, so Paul starts to talk about unity at the beginning of chapter 4, and he comes to verse 16. He's talking about growth and vitality and life in the church. And so when, when we talk about church health, we, we really are talking about church unity. And so when we ask a question like, is Meadows a healthy church? We could also be asking the question of, is Meadows a unified church? And I think sometimes asking those different questions kind of gives a different perspective on how we answer the question. And it helps us really get at, are, are we a healthy church? Are we a unified church? Are we together in that? And so I just want to contend that unity, growth, health, vitality, these words that we use about the, the makeup of our church and the, the health or vitality of our church, they're interchangeable concepts. And so unity and health or unity and growth are interchangeable. Uh, second big idea or main idea for this morning, learning and living out our identity, gifting, and calling in Christ is an essential part of maintaining the unity of the body. We will only be as unified as our understanding and application of our identity, our gifting, and our calling. And so it's imperative for each one of us to really pursue an understanding of who are we in Christ and and what has Christ done by his spirit in us and what has he called us collectively and individually to in the working of his body. As we learn and then live out those realities of our identity, gifting, and calling in Christ, we will grow in unity, we will maintain the unity that is found in the Godhead. So I just want to walk through uh, verses 7 to 16 this morning together, making some observations as we go. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I just invite you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start in verse 7 and uh, go to verse 16 uh, kind of slowly. So he says, verse 7, if uh, your Bible's like mine, uh, verse 7 is kind of buried right on the heels of verse 6, but it's, it, it really is kind of a, a new idea. It's the beginning of a new uh, paragraph here. So Paul's beginning to communicate something a little bit differently than what he has been communicating. So he just communicated this oneness of God where our unity flows from. And then he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is given to each one of us. I love the truth of that because while we are one in Christ, while we've been brought into this one body by one spirit through the one hope of our calling in the one Lord by one faith, by one baptism into the one God and Father of all, we're different, right? And there is diversity in this unity, and that is a grace from God. It's good that we're all not the same. Isn't it? How, how boring would the church be if we were all the same? 
How ineffective would the church be if we were all just the same? But God has made us different, and in our differences, he has given us grace. Now, this is more than just saving grace. Yet, even if it was just talking about saving grace, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? The reality that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, offers us grace that saves us is amazing. And I hope that as you sit here today, you can say, yes, amen, I believe in that, I've received that, I know that I am saved. But Christ doesn't stop by just saving us. He gives us grace to serve with him, to follow him, to live in a way that illuminates him to the world. This is ministry grace. This is the sharing of his mission and his reward. It kind of makes me think of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving doesn't get enough airtime, in my opinion. It doesn't get enough mention. We're coming up on Halloween, and then it's Christmas. And and we just kind of jump right over Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is an amazing, wonderful holiday, in my opinion. We get this wonderful bounty of food that we sit around with friends and family and we share together the wealth of what God has blessed us with. And that's what Christ has done. Christ has overcome the enemy. And we're going to get a picture, a victorious picture in just a second in verse 8, how Christ has conquered. And back in the day when someone would conquer an enemy, they would pillage the enemy. They would take all their stuff. And then they would bring it home and lay it out, and it would be this amazing spread. But what's even more amazing than that is that Christ shares that with us. He invites us to this incredible table where he has this victorious dinner spread. And the psalmist even says that even if it's in the presence of our enemies, that's okay, because what it communicates is that Jesus is victorious. And it's his grace that he invites us into that meal, that he invites us to his table, that he gives us gifts of his spirit. And so in verse 8, we read, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, it's interesting, Paul is uh, misquoting Psalm 68, verse 18. And I'm so glad that he misquotes it. Now, I don't think he's misremembering it. I think he's giving it a different twist. But he has Psalm 68 well in his mind. Here's the beginning of Psalm 68. God shall rise. His enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. 
Psalm 68 just unfolds over and over again about God's victory. And it comes to verse 18 and it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, do you see the difference in what Psalm 68 says and in what Paul misquotes it as? And I think with purpose. Psalm 68 says that as the Lord ascends on high, he's receiving gifts. But what does Paul say? As the Lord ascends on high, he's giving gifts. I want you to see that our King, our Lord, Jesus Christ, he is unlike any other king. That when he rides victoriously, to his throne, to his authoritative place. When he has all this plunder and he's worthy of all praise and he's worthy of all gifts and he's worthy of everything we could give him, he's not saying, hey, give, 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 give to me. No, our king says, let me give to you. Let me share with you a portion of this inheritance that I deserve. Isn't that what Paul says in chapter 1? We're seated with him in the heavenly places. We're going to share in the inheritance of the Son. All that is rewarded to Christ in his victory. Christ says, hey, come to the table. Come, I'll share with you. I'll share with you my mission, my purpose, and I will share with you my reward. Jesus Christ is such a generous He gives and he gives and he gives. And his gracious gift to us is salvation. And on top of that, on top of that is the work of the Spirit in our lives as he gives gifts, spiritual gifts to men. As he gives enablement by the Spirit, as he gives ability by the Spirit, as he gives this work by the Spirit that we can do. It's an amazing, amazing gift. Paul wants to make sure that we have understanding of how great our Lord is. So in verse 9, he continues on and he says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is just talking about the miraculous work of the incarnation. That God, God the Son, who was in the exact essence of God the Father and God the Spirit, participating and enjoying this unity of the triune God, said, I'll go down to earth. I'll walk on earth. I'll take on flesh and I'll dwell among them so that I can be a right and perfect sacrifice to take on their punishment, to atone for their sin, to overcome the enemy, to conquer sin and death and hell. I'll do that. And when he rose again, then he's ascended back on high to be over all things, seated at the right hand of God, on God's throne with him, exalted to that wonderful place of all authority so that he can fill all things with his glory, with his power with his love, with his grace. 
Paul says, I, I want you to understand just who this king is that you have. He's a generous king. He's so generous and loving that he left his heavenly abode and he took on flesh, came to the earth. He conquered sin and death and then he rose again. And when he rose again to get all this reward, he invites you and he shares with you. By his spirit, he shares with us. And so Paul begins to unpack this in verse 11. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So so Jesus Christ is giving gifts. Now there's some that would read this text and interpret this as Christ has given us the gift of the scriptures. And so he's, he's really kind of unpacking the different genres and the different authorships of Scripture as the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. And we could map those to the different genres in Scripture. And so there is some commentary where they would say this is the word of God given to all believers. And we know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And so there is some mapping there. And so I do want you to hear that this word is profitable. This is God's grace to you, that you can know him in his word, that you can be instructed by him, by his word, that you can live in a way that's pleasing to him because he's given us his word. But I think Paul's talking about people here. I I, I think Paul's talking to a local body of believers about how they can pursue and maintain unity, and that's a people issue. And we need to pursue that around the word. But I think Paul's saying Christ has given gifts to people, functions, roles, and abilities in order to help stir up unity among the body. In this, I hope that we hear that our identity, gifting, and calling flows out of the ones of this chapter. Our identity, gifting, and calling flows out of the reality of one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all. So that just means that we can't really know who we are in Christ without one another. We help each other understand who we are in Christ, our new identity. That means we really won't understand our spiritual giftedness without one another. We can't really figure that out in a vacuum. We need each other to do that. And we can't really fulfill our calling without one another. And so there is a togetherness aspect of this. But Paul realizes we're not all in the same place. And so he exemplifies some roles and functions that seem to be given in terms of equipping. There are some that are gifted to help others be equipped. I like to picture uh, these 
I'll say four categories. Some break it into five. It depends on if you see shepherd and teacher as one or two. But, but the structure is different in that language. And so if you just look at the verse, um, there's, there's a structural difference. So he says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Okay, it's not and the teachers, it's shepherds and teachers. And so um, most people combine those. And so you have four functions, and I like to think of them like a fire truck and the people on a fire truck. Um, so you don't see very many of this kind of fire truck that has, you know, the driver in the front and the driver in the back and then a crew somewhere on that truck. I was really trying to find, you know, one of those old vintage pictures that like had guys sitting on the ladder and woo, you know, but I couldn't find one. Um, so this is what you get. Uh, the Los Angeles Fire Department, it's one of their biggest fire trucks they have. And, and you have the apostle which literally means sent one. And so um, some people go, well, it can't mean that God gives apostles like he did then. And I go, okay, there are apostles in the New Testament. Um, We don't have anybody like that. Okay, there's not another Peter out there. But there are people that are sent ones that are kind of the driver in the front of the engine, that are the pushers, that are the, here we go, and this is the direction we're headed in. And then there's the prophet, and this isn't like Isaiah or Joel. And we're going to meet Isaiah Joel at the end of the service, so stick around because we get two prophets and one little kid. (laughs) And it'll be really cool. But we're not talking about prophets like Isaiah and Joel. Uh, We're talking about those that have a passion for what's meaningful to God, the foretellers of God's word, the preservers of God's word, those that feel very strongly and passionately about the holiness of God. And they're like the driver in the back of the truck. Now, I'll tell you what, this truck doesn't work very well without two drivers. And I think that's true with apostles and prophets. Apostles can have a tendency to get ahead of everyone else. And the prophet has a tendency in the back to go, hey man, we got to slow down this truck because we're not going to make this corner. A prophet helps steer and guide because they're passionate about the word of God. Then you have an evangelist, and he's like the guy on the loudspeaker of the truck. Get out of the way. Hey, there's a fire. Okay, but he's saying, hey, good news, we're on the way. Hey, everybody, there's a fire, but don't worry, because here we come. He's the one that's proclaiming the good news, that's reminding the body, hey, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news. And we have shepherds and teachers, kind of like the medic or, or the site coordinator. You know, when a fire truck hits a scene, there's one guy that's like, you go there, you go there, you do this, you do this, you need help, great, I'll help you. And, and that's the shepherd, teacher, or pastor. And I believe that in every local body, Christ wants us to realize people with these gifts. And I want us to realize that Christ gives grace in these gifts, to all people. So these gifts might be in people that we don't always expect. Now, oftentimes, these gifts, these functions, these vocations become leaders of the church because they're called to equip, to lead, to guide the people in a church. But I I don't know that these four gifts are ever embodied in one person. That's why we believe in a plurality of elders here. 
where there's more than one person in charge, where there's more than one person tasked with this duty of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But if we think about this lens of the fire truck and the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd teacher, we get a glimpse of who are these people and what are they to be about as they equip the saints. That word equip is um, it's a really compelling word. It's the only time that Paul uses it in his writing, but it's used in other Greek literature, so we know what it means. So I looked it up in a couple of different Greek dictionaries, and um, from two dictionaries, we get three definitions. The word, yeah, yeah, go figure. Two dictionaries, three definitions, but they're good. To equip means to restore, to reconcile, and to prepare. So those, those apostles and prophets and the, the evangelists and the, pa- the shepherd teacher, the pastor, they're, they're called to equip the saints, to restore, to reconcile, and to prepare. Now we all come to Christ on a journey. We're all in different places on that path. Some are newer in Christ than others here. Some are more mature in Christ than others here. Some, all of us, are differently gifted in Christ. And yet the leaders, the equippers, are called to restore. This word restore, often when we think about equipping, we're we're thinking about like building up the muscles, we're thinking about exercise, but this is a far gentler term than I think we often think of it as. But, But to restore or to mend or to set right what is broken. Man, we all come to Christ with stuff. And if, if you're sitting here today and you feel like, man, you don't know my stuff, Pastor Andrew. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I struggle with. I'll just say our omniscient God does. And he's able to restore. He's able to heal. He's able to tend to that. And as your leaders... I implore you, elders, would you help these people understand that? Would you introduce them to a Savior that's loving and kind and gentle and humble? Would you say, Jesus has come to change your life, but it's to make it right. It's to set it straight. It's to mend what is broken. And if you're sitting here today and you go, I have so much stuff and I don't know how to overcome it. I don't know how to be made right. Then let me just introduce you to Jesus because he knows. And let us walk with one another that journey of restoration. None of us have arrived. We're all on the journey. 
And so as we realize that, as we realize our identity, gifting, and calling together, as we enjoy our togetherness, we can help one another on that journey of restoration. Coming to Christ, learning from Christ, experiencing the healing of Christ. To reconcile. Kind of has two meanings in my mind. Um, one, to, to get things straight. Okay, there's this, this mental reconciliation. When we come to Jesus, everything is intended to change. Jesus transforms people. Jesus transforms situations. And when we come to Christ, we're called to be transformed. We're called to allow him to transform. And that takes some reconciliation of our paradigms, of our thoughts, of just the way we see the life and the world. Who you are in Christ is radically different than who you were before Christ. And so Paul can say in another place that the old is gone, the new has come. But I'll tell you what, that takes a little reconciliation in the mind and in the heart. These leaders, these equippers, they're called to help people understand, to reconcile that in their own minds. To go, hey, you were like this, but now in Christ you are like this. And to lovingly say, hey, let's live more like that. To change our thought process. Hey, before Christ, you did this. Now after Christ, here's what he calls you to do. That's a process of reconciliation. And there's this relational aspect of reconciliation, right? Here's the thing. If we can't really understand our identity outside of one another, if we can't really understand our gifting outside of one another, if we can't really fulfill our calling outside of one another, if we're brought together on purpose because God has a plan, because he knows everything, and he has everything under control, so you are not sitting here today on accident. There is purpose in you being in this place today. There's purpose of you being brought to this church to fellowship, whether you're visiting or whether you're a regular attender. There's purpose in this moment for your life. And if we're to understand that best when we're together, boy, we got to get good at reconciliation. Because I'll tell you what, I'll frustrate you and you'll frustrate me and we'll do that to one another, okay? Because we're human. So man, to have, to have apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to come alongside us to say, hey, you know what? I see that your relationships aren't quite right. Can we mend that in Christ, for Christ, and for the good of the body? This is what it means to maintain unity, to, to, to restore what's broken in us, to see what Christ has done in us, to reconcile how we think and what we do and our relationships with one another. And then to prepare, to enable, to equip, to give the right tools for the job. And that's what we do when we sit around this word together, when we talk to, 
together about what Christ is doing in us and what he's showing us and how he's working through us. That's what we do when we're hanging out together. We're just equipping one another. We're just preparing one another. And again, we're all at different places on that continuum. Some of us are ready to be on mission when we walk out the door today, and I'm so thankful for that. And some of us say, I'm not. Please don't let anybody ask me about my faith. Please don't let me um, just encounter situations where I'm going to have to live that out. Please don't check in on me because this week's been really bad. And yet together... We're to see one another prepared for the task. The task to go and make disciples. Christ has given gifts so generously, so lovingly, that we might be equipped and that we might do the work of ministry. But we do that together. Equippers helping us to understand what's been restored and helping us to reconcile in our hearts and minds and in our relationships and preparing us for the task at hand. Here's the goal. Verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Oh, that we all. I just want that word to sink in on your heart. Paul's saying the goal for our local church is that everyone who comes through our doors would move toward this end, to the unity of faith, to an understanding of the gospel, to an acceptance that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and Jesus Christ is that Savior. That we might all move that way. Are we committed to that? Are we working to maintain the unity toward that goal that everyone would understand the gospel? And that everyone would have knowledge, a a transforming understanding of our Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Man, are are we all moving to become more like Christ? That's what he says in the next phrase, to mature manhood. Okay, this is the picture to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's our evidence. That's our measuring stick. We go, are we looking more like Christ in our affections, in our attitudes, in our actions? Are we looking more and more and more like Christ? Because if we're all moving toward the unity, a saving understanding of the gospel, and a transforming understanding of the Savior, man, we're going to look more like Jesus. Paul uses contrast very effectively in a number of places. Contrast has an interesting effect, and really it can help us to see things more clearly, can't it? 
And so it's not surprising to me that, that, that Paul just pauses for a moment to say, hey, let me, let me give you contrasting pictures here, okay? If you're not moving toward mature manhood, if you're not moving toward the fullness of Christ, let's look at the contrast of that. So that we may no longer be children, it's the first contrast, tossed to and fro by the waves, Second contrast, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Let's just look at the contrast between childhood and adulthood. Are there any differences there? Okay, yeah, we could call the kids back in here and we could look father and son and, and we could see some physical differences and we could, we could, we could notice that adults are different than kids, Right? We function differently, we live differently, we move differently. So Paul says, here's the contrast. We're not children anymore, we're adults now. And so mature manhood, the fullness of Christ, looks more like being an adult than being a child. We're not tossed to and fro by the waves I don't know if you've ever seen waves crashing on the shore or maybe a boat that's sitting in the waves being tossed around. I have a picture. If you want to skip a slide, Matthew, you'll find a picture of a boat tossed and then one sitting anchored in calm water. It's a contrast, isn't it? You imagine standing on the beach right there, seeing that boat get tossed and going, maybe we ought to step back just a little bit. Being tossed is very unsettling. But being anchored, being in the harbor of Christ, it looks very, very different. And finally, he says, don't be blown around by the wind, carried about. It's fall. I love fall. The only downside of fall is that the leaves fall off my trees. And this is the time of year that I probably fall out of grace with my neighbors because we have a lot of trees and I don't always get to the leaves as quickly as they probably would hope that I would. And leaves are carried from my yard to theirs. Are you just blown about like leaves in the wind, like dry leaves that can go anywhere? This is the contrast, and it's the question. And he's, he's comparing unity with all of these things, and he's just saying, hey, how's your unity? Look at your unity, and you will answer so many other questions. He said, man, don't be like this. Rather, verse 15 Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He's just repeating himself. Okay, he's just saying what he just said in verse 13. That, that we're to pursue mature manhood, that we're supposed to grow up into this, into the fullness of Christ, because we're supposed to be a fitting body to the head who is Christ. You know, um, I don't draw very well. I don't know where Audrey got her drawing talent, but she draws far better than I do. When I draw people, they're way out of proportion, okay? And so most of the time, I just do stick figures. But when you see a stick figure, the head and the body don't really match up, right? 
Okay, we want the body to match with the head. We want to maintain that and pursue that. We want to grow up. And as we maintain unity, we will grow this way. That's the goal. I I, I like that, you know, his structure is a, a little complex. Rather, we are to grow up in every way. How do we do that? We speak the truth in love. And I want to just say we speak and hear the truth in love. Because some people can speak the truth in love, but if you're not listening, it doesn't do any good. We speak and hear the truth in love. What truth? Well, what needs to be restored in your life? Hey, brother, sister, you're in Christ now. And I see some things that really emulate brokenness, that seem childish or, or seem like you're tossed around or blown like the dry leaves. That is the truth we're supposed to speak to one another. Hey, can, can we look to Christ to restore that? Could, could we do that together? Reconcile. Hey, you know what? Um, who you are before Christ, who you are after Christ, have you really reconciled those things? Because Christ has said you're adopted as his loved child, that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing, that you're seated in the heavenly places, that you will inherit this great inheritance that he's going to share with you, that you are gifted, that you are equipped to do what he's called you to do. Do you believe that? Have you reconciled that in your life? And are you reconciled with one another? Those Those are the truths that we need to speak to each other in love. Are you prepared? And I I happened to be watching you the other day and you had a great opportunity with your child or with your coworker in in this environment at school and you just totally missed the opportunity. Are Are you prepared? Can we talk about that? Can we work together to see you more prepared to engage in the task of making disciples? Man, if we're speaking that truth to one another, that's maintaining unity. And that we would work together. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That, that phrase right in the middle. We, we are joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. We are joined and held together by the Spirit. By this grace of the Spirit that is equipping us, that's gifting us. We're joined and held together by our spiritual gifts. Our spiritual gifts that God has given in his grace to us by the Spirit are what make our body work. And so if we don't understand what Christ by his Spirit has done in us and deploy that, our body is not working well. Because we each have gifts that we all need in order to accomplish our calling. That begins with understanding your identity in Christ. That begins in pursuing the understanding of your spiritual gift. That begins with pursuing your calling. And we do that together because that's the only way we can really know 
the truth about those things. And then when we realize those things about each other and about ourselves, and we begin working out of our giftedness together, oh, Paul says the the body just starts to grow and it builds itself up in love. Scientists have been amazed for decades, amazed and baffled about how the body grows. There are organs like your spleen and your liver that if you're healthy, they grow to the right size all on their own. There have been studies where they have actually implanted spleen material, multiple um, spleens into a rat. They take one spleen out and they put six little bits in, and those six little bits become the same size as that one thing. Because somehow the body just knows how to grow. So man, we don't have to get all stressed out about growth. We don't have to get all stressed out about our maturity. We don't have to get all stressed out about our church health, but we need to focus on our unity. Do we realize how much we need each other? Do we trust that God has us all in this place at this time? And are we willing to speak truth and to hear truth in love so that we can be restored, so that we can be reconciled, so that we can be prepared. Are we working to maintain unity? If we are, the body will grow. The body will be healthy. And it will be full of love. Let's pray. Father, Thank you um, that you have designed us, you have transformed us to grow. And so, Father, I pray that um, we would recognize the gifting that you've given. Father, in uh, us as individuals, as us collectively, as a local expression of your body, Father, I pray that you would reveal what you've done in each of us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would just begin doing life together through that lens, that our conversations would be saturated with the idea of our identity in Christ, that we'd talk often about our gifting of the spirit, and Lord, that you would use us together to reveal that. Lord, help us to discern well your calling and, Lord, to embrace it wholeheartedly. And then, Father, to see that as we function together by the Spirit, the body grows. So, Father, I pray that we would be eager to maintain that. That which you have created that originates from you and that we would learn and live out our identity, our giftedness and calling so that we can see unity flourish in our body. Thanks in Christ's name, amen.